Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 315. I am Tom Maluli, and with me today is Tim Maluli and Brendan Maluli. How's it going, everybody? I think we have a couple, just a couple things that we wanted to touch on in today's podcast. The first of which was an article that I saw in, in Market Watch. It was for people receiving unemployment, and it was kind of just a, a reminder for them, or it said, read this before filing your taxes. I think the article was just reminding people that your unemployment benefits are in fact taxable income and a lot of people don't realize that that's the case. There's a lot of people out there who I think are going to be in for a nasty surprise um, next year when they go to get their taxes done. They had some survey data in there, so take it with a grain of salt, but uh, it seemed like most people didn't really know that uh, this was taxable income. I think 37% said they didn't know that it was taxable income and then Uh, 51% said they didn't know that you needed to ask for tax to be withheld on it. You you can withhold tax from uh, unemployment. It's just a flat 10%, but uh, better than not withholding anything. Ultimately, people may choose not to withhold just because they need the maximum amount uh, that they're getting from unemployment. Uh, It may or may not be... I was going to say helping that, them make ends meet based on what they were earning beforehand. Yeah, I was going to say there's probably some people out there who do know that it's taxable, but it choose matter. choose not to withhold anyway because they need every penny that was coming in from that check anyway. They can't afford to have anything less than that. A good recommendation in there, regardless of whether you're receiving unemployment benefits or not, is just the idea of like a mid-year tax check-in, uh, meaning like. You know, June, July of each year, whatever you're getting your income from, you should take a look. I mean, you can just take a you know pay stub from that period of time, or, or if you have to dig into your, uh, you know, QuickBooks of your small business or whatever you're doing, and just just take a look at what you've withheld so far, and uh, you know what what you're on track uh, to earn over the course of the year, and make sure that it's. Uh, you know, at least in the ballpark, so that there aren't any huge surprises. I mean, we can't predict the future, but you know, you can you can make some small adjustments over the course of the year and not be blindsided come tax time. Yeah. And the IRS actually has a, a free estimator that you can use. Just go to irs.gov and look for the tax withholding estimator, and it's a free tool, uh, and it'll just give you a ballpark idea of where you're at, as you just said. It's not yeah. that complex anymore either. I mean, 90 plus percent of people are taking the standard deduction, so like, right. the only math involved, even if you're not using a calculator, is just what what you've earned or what you're on track to earn over the course of a year minus your $12,200 standard deduction for an individual, two times that if you're married, and. And that should give you a pretty good idea of where you're going to lie at the end of the year. I mean, barring other front front end, uh, you know, deductions for AGI from from an income tax return, it's pretty straightforward. So they did say that you can fill out a form to start having money withheld if you haven't. You can't do it retroactively. Yeah, it doesn't go back in time and and with withhold from what you've already received. But you can fill out the form. I think it was. Form W-4V. Right. Um, and like Brendan said, you can withhold up to 10% federally. Again, like you said, that's 
better than than nothing. It might not be exact for for people. Um, if you end up but going back close. to work, then you figure it out. I mean, you just factor that into okay, I'm starting this job. Hopefully, I'm gonna make X over the remainder of the year. Here, I already know that I have Y and unemployment benefits that I withheld at ten percent. Like, you know, where is that gonna put me in? And and if it's if this is too much to do, uh, then you, know, you ask a financial advisor or your tax right. preparer just, just for some general guidance. There yeah. is a, a little bit of jujitsu that you need to kind of land in the zone so that you don't wind up with a big tax bill next year. One of the things that always comes up when we're talking about this is what about taxability on the state level? The, what we've been talking about has been for federal taxes. Uh, every state has their own different rules on how they tax income and, and different types of that of income. So I know New Jersey, you don't need to, to worry about that because it's not a thing here in New Jersey. Uh, but for people who might be listening to this outside of New Jersey, I think it'd be worth looking, looking up how your state handles unemployment benefits and just state taxes in general. Yeah, New York specifically. I saw that uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania were named in this article as, as ones where you're not going to have to worry about the unemployment benefit and, and obviously any uh, income tax-free states, you, you don't have to worry about it. But just thinking of the uh, tri-state area here, I think uh, New York and specifically if you live in New York City too, I'm not sure about the uh, you know, city, city, city taxability tax. of, yeah. of that, I know. If you, if you live in the city and uh, end up paying pretty yeah. high taxes uh, for doing so. Whether you're collecting unemployment or not, it's the middle of the year. It's probably a good idea. I know we just did that this week here at Maluli Asset, just going through our June 30th numbers and looking at where we stand in terms of you know profitability, what our revenue looks like, uh, you know what's the situation for taxes. So it's a good thing to make a mental note or to jot it down in your calendar to do a mid-year review anyway yeah, no, and just I, see if you're on track. I can appreciate that people who are collecting unemplo uh, unemployment may, I mean, it's tough to project what the rest of the year is going to look like uh, if, if you've had your life disrupted greatly in uh, the first half here, but uh, you can at least make some educated guesses and if you have to err on one side or the other i would i would recommend uh shooting for a situation that might end up with you over withheld as opposed to under withheld I mean, yeah obviously best case in the world is just zero when you go to calculate your tax liability uh at the at the uh end of the year would come tax time when you're doing your returns but i mean especially considering all the uncertainty right now if you have to make a guess then be overly cautious and then uh you know get some money back not yeah. the end of the world. So they did offer some ways to quote unquote fix the if you haven't been withholding money from your unemployment benefits. The first one was for those people who would just start getting unemployment, the, the form W-4V. The second one was to make estimated quarterly payments throughout the year. Uh, they said the first and second quarter, those payments will be due by July 15th. Uh, and there was a form or you can use uh, 1040-ES to calculate what your estimated payments might be. Uh, and then the third one was kind of just to mentally account and, and or physically put money away or aside for taxes for next year. I feel like that one would be a little difficult 
for people to do potentially, especially if they go through the rest of the year and end up needing money along the way. Yeah, kind of the same situation why somebody might choose not to withhold even though they know it's an option. Right. It's like, okay, well, I'm only going to get X from my uh, unemployment benefit and I need all of that right now. So I'm just going to have to figure this out at a later date, understanding that 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 could be a time bomb depending on how the rest of the year goes. I mean, if if you don't have options, I'm not going to sit here and tell you to... (laughs) to withhold and just make it work. I mean, that's tone deaf. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Definitely. We're recording this on July 10th, and this morning we had uh, new lows on treasury yields. 30-year treasury this morning, the yield is 1.284. That's the lowest number I think I've ever seen. The 10-year yield is now 0.60, 60 basis points. And the five-year yield hit just about a quarter of a point, 0.258. That kind of ties in with another article we were talking around, talking about here in the office that was uh, on Morningstar written by Christine Benz. Yeah, she asked the question and wrote about what the best diversifier for stocks is. She looked at a couple different asset classes, bonds, different types of bonds, cash, and different alternative uh, investments. And she pretty much analyzed from the last time that she had checked in, which was in 2019, and and looked at what held up or what was the lowest correlation to stocks during what has happened since the last time she checked in. And she pointed out how, you know, treasury bonds, like you just said, the yields are really low and they might not keep up with inflation moving forward. But the long-term treasuries uh, and treasuries in general have really held their ground and kind of pushed back against the low returns from stocks. You know, they zigged when stocks zagged, so to speak, earlier this year. Yeah, I mean, a lot of discussion lately about, you know, how to diversify a portfolio. And I just, I understand people's points about bond yields being low and how that's not going to keep up with inflation. First off, that's not why you're putting money in bonds to begin with. But uh, second off, I don't know what the alternative here is, because um, in the past, you know, people have, and obviously, as Tom alluded to, the yields are even lower now than what I'm referencing in this point. But in the past, people have said the same exact thing for the last several years, in fact, that bond yields are low. So uh, you might actually just want to hold stocks and cash, for instance. Maybe cash will be a better diversifier. I think, as we've discussed here on the podcast before, that that is claiming the ability to be able to time the bond market, uh, which I think is total nonsense. Uh, And I think you're going to cost yourself money because uh, you you still are collecting something by having your money in bonds. So that that incremental return is going to put if if you're worried about inflation, you're going to put your money in cash. At least you're right. getting something from bonds. You're getting absolutely nothing from cash. Right. Yeah. I don't think people's ability to time the bond market is any better than their ability to time the stock market. And so I think you're implicitly stating that you know better and that you're you're going to somehow you know be uh, opportunistic about this and and you'll know when to move from cash back into bonds as the diversifier in your portfolio. And I don't I don't buy that for a second. For many many years, the the better of the best, if you could say that, was using longer-term treasuries as your diversifier. But it actually turns out that in her research that the shorter term, the shorter end of the curve has actually been better 
this over, year, this yeah, time around. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think what that said to me, it was the question she asked at the end was, is it repeatable? And I think that that's a really important question to ask when you're thinking about like diversifying and picking which ones, uh, because, you know, if you wanted to have the maximum diversification, you know, you could just put all of your money into long-term treasuries and ignore the short-term side of it. But this time around, the short-term actually worked better than the long-term. So you have to diversify your diversifiers. That's why she pointed out how the ag, like an aggregate bond index, it worked. It worked well this time. And it obviously didn't work as if you were to just put it all into the long-term treasuries. Uh, yeah, the amount you were but, punished for was the exposure to corporate bonds, which didn't right. hold up as well uh, right. as, you know, and you, I don't think you should expect them to because these are, these are, these are bonds of publicly traded companies, not the yeah, U.S. government. And it, so when their stocks are going down, right, the bonds are put on pressure too. Because There's credit issues that yeah. come with them. Right. right. But, yeah. but the aggregate bond index, your core bond fund is 50 to 60% treasury and agencies, uh, maybe even more than that. But you're, you're getting benefits. It's just a matter of like how, how into this you want to go because long-term bonds are pretty volatile uh, when, when you look at how they move on a yearly basis. They're not as volatile as stocks, but they, they move around more than you probably want the bond component of your portfolio to do. And then there's the whole other category of uh, alternatives here, which I just... I don't think you I, see me smiling because you know that I'm going to tip over into that. I just yeah. think these things are are areas that people only buy after the fact. Yeah. Managed yeah. futures were huge after 0809 and they've been terrible since and it's not because the category itself is flawed, it's because people were greedily piling into something that worked in the past without understanding what it was going to do into the future. These things are going to cost you money. It is an insurance premium that you pay to own this or like a, a bear market type fund, which is just going to like use options basically like yeah. buy, buy puts. So it's right. going to lose money most of the time spending money on the puts. And then once in a while it's going to pay off and you're, you're going to have this one thing in your portfolio, which like some, some of these bear market funds earlier this year, when the market was down 35%, were just up like insane amounts. But how much of your, how much of your portfolio can you reasonably put into there when yeah. you know that 95% of the time, it's going to be a money loser. You you just I'm not saying don't. It's just you need to you need to right size it and you need to understand why you're hanging on to this thing when you could go years of it just losing you money and if you're going to rebalance back into it then it's just that's a, that's an implicit cost that you have to be willing to bear. And if you're not and you don't understand it then stay away from the category. I yeah. think in the same bucket of alternatives we can also throw gold and bitcoin and some of these other things in there as well not really it's interesting to see that christine we have a lot of respect for her she writes uh, great great topics um the headline was what's the best diversifier for stocks it's really going to come down to simple stuff yeah i think best it's going to be best is, best for your situation what, yeah it's what relative you can, what you can hang on to i mean if you if you can own a, a managed futures fund and hang with it as as a part of your diversification in your portfolio then go right ahead i just i just yeah. don't think the average person out there uh same thing i think with the long-term bonds like yeah. you, they're going to work better than an aggregate bond in terms of performance but they're going to be more volatile but if you can hang on to that then great if that works for you great yeah, yeah. so it's relative i think i think i've, I've read to one other thing that i I'd, I'd want to add in is is the idea of holding cash as part of your diversifier and it's it's uh it's it's tough because like you know ideally if you're gonna hold cash you would want to put it into like 
you know, something like an online bank that that yields something like one percent instead of zero, zero yeah, right? right? Like a, a cash sweep account at some of the brokerage firms, or most of them, or or like a regular brick and mortar bank account. But I think there's a big problem with uh, decoupling. Like I think there's a benefit of holding the cash or your diversifier in the same place as your stocks, because then you could see the benefit of, hey, I had X, the market went down 10%, and now I'm I'm here. Whereas I, I just don't think you're going to mentally be like, hey, here's my stocks in this brokerage account, and oh yeah, I have this other portion of cash that's my bond. This is my bond, basically, and I'm using air quotes on bond there, uh, but it's over at the bank, and I have to mentally calculate the, the benefit yeah. of having those two things and uh putting them together i just i don't think you're gonna do that and you're gonna you're gonna have more volatility than you can deal with in in your portfolio as a result that's yeah. a really good point i think we'll end there for episode 315 thanks again for tuning in and we will catch up with you on the next episode <laughs>